2. We are in Mark chapter 2 again. And I, I got to tell you a story. This is going to be a shortened message, by the way, because of the grand opening stuff. So you're going to get about a 15-minute sermon. I've never heard anybody argue and complain about a 15-minute sermon, just so you know. So you're going to get one of those today. Uh, but there was a young couple driving through East Texas, and they ran across on the highway a sign that says, in 30 miles, Nagadoches. Did I say that right, by the way? Nagadoches. I did not even close. Tracy's, thanks. Say it then. Say it. Nagadoches. <clears throat> say it really fast and mumble, then it's right. Anyway, that's the point of the story. The, the, the young couple was arguing with each other. How do you say it? And the husband had one way to say it, and the wife had one way to say it. And they were arguing with each other. And, and the husband finally said, you know what? In 30 miles, when we get into town, we're going to stop someplace, and we're going to ask somebody in the town, how do you pronounce that? And we will settle it there. And so for the next 30 miles, there's kind of silence in the vehicle. They're waiting until they get into town. They pull up into a restaurant. They walk in. They ask the waitress behind the counter, will you settle it for us? How do you pronounce this place? And can you pronounce it slowly? She said, okay. Burger King. (laughs) I laughed so loud when I heard that the first time. And some of you did too. Perspective changes everything, doesn't it? And that's kind of the point of that story. Perspective changes everything. If you're not from the Midwest, you have a different perspective of tornadoes. We were in Daytona Beach uh, several years ago, and I was asking a surfer. I was telling him, I, I couldn't surf. I couldn't go way out there uh, where the sharks are. I'm from the Midwest. I'm afraid of sharks. He said, oh, sharks aren't nothing. You don't have to be afraid of the sharks. He said, where are you from? I said, I'm from, I'm from Kansas. He said, oh, tornadoes. He said, I don't know how you guys do it. You guys have them every day in your backyard. I mean, I don't, and his perspective, I mean, he was shake. He was, he was not putting on a show. He was scared of tornadoes. Now, we don't even, you know, we don't even think about tornadoes. If you're from this part of the country, you have tornadoes. Uh, but in the town that Chelsea grew up in until second grade, this is Harper, Kansas, this picture up here on the screen, this is a picture of a wedding. And what's in the background? Can you see it? They didn't duck for cover. They didn't run the shelter. It's Kansas, baby. You just keep taking the wedding pictures. You go ahead and do your I do's. You, you kiss the bride tornadoes going on in the background. Look at the next picture. That one, there wasn't just one tornado. This is Harper, Kansas. Yeah, keep taking the pictures. That ended up on Good Morning America the next day. That that was about five or six years ago. But if you're not from there, you have a different perspective on tornadoes. Well, we want a heavenly perspective. We want a godly perspective when it comes to life here on this earth. In the Old Testament, Samuel was told to go find a new king, and he goes to a man's house by the name of Jesse. He has seven sons. He goes to the first son, tall, strong, big, looks like a good king, and God says, that's not the one. Goes to the second son, big, strong, good looking, that's not the one. Third son, fourth son, fifth son, sixth son, none of them are the ones. And Samuel, he couldn't believe it. Do you have any other sons? And Jesse, oh, oh yeah, one out in the field, the youngest, the scrawniest, the smallest, and God says, that's the one. And we learn from that story that God has a different perspective than we do. He looks at things differently, and he actually says a line. He says, man looks at the outward, and God looks at the heart. We're impressed and we're disappointed by what goes on outwardly. 
We get all caught up in that. But God is looking at the inside. He's looking at the heart. And I, I would just tell you this. One of the reasons you ought to read your Bible is so that you gain a biblical, godly, heavenly perspective. If all you have is a southeast Texas perspective of life, it's not going to be congruent with the scriptures. I'm nothing, nothing against Southeast Texas, love Southeast Texas, United States of America, 21st century, but that is not a biblical, godly perspective on life. And so you ought to be in the word. We ought to preach from the word. We ought to sing from the word because it, it shapes our perspective. Let me just give you, before we get to Mark chapter 2, we're going to be in the same passage as last week, by the way, verses 1 through 12. There is a hidden truth in this passage that we didn't bring out last week, kind of a truth hidden behind the bush, so to speak. We didn't have time to get into it, and I thought this would be a good opportunity to show you this truth. But let me give you some Old Testament examples before we get there. Same King David that we just talked about, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, he goes to war with his men, leaving his wives and children, all the men's wives and children back in the village alone, which back then would have been a dangerous thing to do. But they go off fighting the Amalekites, and they win the battle, and when they get done with the battle of the Amalekites, they're heading back home, and when they get back home in 1 Samuel chapter 30, they get back to their village, and their village is burned down, and all their wives and children have been taken. And this is what it says after all of David's friends have turned against David. They said that they wanted to stone him. They said that they wanted to kill him. His best friends turned against him. The very people who should have been there for him in this tough time. The very people who should have stood by him turned against him. And this is what it says King David does. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But what did David do? What did David do? He found strength in the Lord his God. Who did he turn to? He ran to God. He had a crisis, and he runs to the Lord. Joseph, Old Testament, jealous brothers. They say, we're going to kill him. You got this robe of many colors. We're going to kill you. They throw him down in a cistern. You're going to die down there. Then an Egyptian... Uh, caravans come by, they say, hey, we can make some money off him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Tell dad that he's dead anyway. And so they sell him into slavery. Joseph goes into Egypt in prison. Eventually he gets out. He starts to rise in power. He gets accused of sexual assault, which was false, but he gets accused of it, goes back into prison, gets forgotten about, gets lied about, gets misportrayed. 17 years of this. Eventually he gets out of prison he rises to the top. He's in charge of the, food, uh, of the food distribution. And this is what it says when his brothers come back and realize Joseph's alive. Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Crisis and a nation is saved. Nebuchadnezzar king of the world in Daniel chapter 4. He's in charge of everything. He has a dream one day. And he has this dream about a big tree that's getting cut down and destroyed. And he asks his men, what's this dream mean? They didn't know what it meant. He goes to Daniel. Daniel, what does this dream mean? And Daniel says, you know this tree that's getting destroyed? There's a messenger that comes down, cuts off all of, all of its limbs, burns down the tree. All that's left is the stump in the ground. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are that tree. You're going down unless you repent and glorify God. 
And Nebuchadnezzar apparently didn't believe it because a year later, it says 12 months later, in Daniel chapter 4, it says 12 months later, uh, it all came crashing down. And it says this in Daniel chapter 4, verse 33 and 34. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. Now watch what happened to him. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Next verse. At the end of that time, I... Who's writing this? Nebuchadnezzar is writing scripture. An unbeliever is writing part of our Bible. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. What did God do to him? He made him like the cattle of the fields. He's walking around eating grass. His fingernails are growing like an animal. His hair, it makes him look like an animal. He has the dew of, of, of the earth all over him until finally he wakes up one day and says, you are the living God. Crisis, he runs to God. Mark chapter two, verses three through five, the story of the paralytic. His four friends take him to Jesus. Verse three. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Question, why did, you, why did that man come to Jesus? Why did he come to Jesus? Well, his four friends brought him. Why did his four friends bring him? Because he's paralyzed. Question, would that man had come to Jesus if he wasn't paralyzed? Bless you. <laughs> would that man had come to Jesus if he wasn't paralyzed? We don't know. Probably not. Probably he would have stayed at home. Sunday night football was on. The Patriots are going to lose again, Justin. They're going to get beat by the Texans. Now watch this, watch this. This is, this is sprinkled throughout all, all the Bible. The crisis is what led him to salvation. You ever think about that? Here's, here's the point of the day. His suffering is what led to his salvation. The very thing we pray against. God, save me from this crisis. Save me from this suffering. Is the very thing that God will use to humble you and to make you run to him. David, friends turned against him. It's, the, it's a crisis. He loses his wife. He loses his children. All the men lose their wife and children. Then his friends, the ones he should be able to grieve with, they turn against him. We're going to kill you. Who does he run to? He runs to the Lord. And maybe that was the whole point. Joseph, nothing right is going on. For what? For the salvation of an entire nation. Nebuchadnezzar, what's it going to take for you to glorify God? I'll make you like the cattle of the field, longhorn beef, Texas style. You're going to be out there grazing like them. When you get up in the morning and there's dew and there's fog, it's going to be on you. And at the end, he glorifies God and says, you are the most high and are paralytic today. I imagine if we meet him in heaven, which I think we will, he will tell you that his paralysis was the best thing that ever happened. Because it brought him to Jesus.
wow. And, and we learn this. God will stop at nothing to get our heart's attention. He will throw you in the dust. Thank you. He will make you gravel in the field. We complain, but thank you. Because if that's what it takes us to get our hearts on Jesus Christ, then it is worth it. It is worth it. It's many of your stories. I know this. I don't know if it's all of your stories, but I know for most of you, uh, for many of you, you are here today because there was an event, there was a crisis, there was a problem, there was a situation, there was a death, there was something that changed it. And they said, enough of me, all of him. My eyes have been on me. But then that event opened your eyes, opened my eyes. And maybe you got a knock on the door, maybe you got a postcard, maybe you got an invite, and all of a sudden Jesus became more real. God's word became important, and it all changed. And and we can look back and we can say the crisis was the best thing that happened to me because it led me back to the Lord. A friend of mine named Steve Boggs, known him for eight years, became somewhat of a a confidant. Uh, We're still in contact about once a week today. He lives up in Kansas. But one of our first conversations, uh, he came in my office, and he was telling about his story. He had prostate cancer 20 years before then, so I guess about 28 years ago now. And he was telling me about the, uh, the treatments. And prostate cancer then was a death sentence, by the way. It's not necessarily that anymore, but it was a bad deal then. And he was talking about the treatments, hormonal differences that happen because of what what has to happen for the male in the midst of that uh, cancer treatment. And I, I, at the end of it, I just said, man, Steve, I'm sorry that you went through that. And he looked at me with tears coming down his face and said, no, 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 Nathan, that was the best thing that ever happened to me because it brought me back to Jesus. And he wasn't just, he he didn't have that prepared. He wasn't just saying it because he's talking to the preacher. You know, he was crying saying it. It was real. It was cancer, the best thing. You don't see that every day. (laughs) Cancer, good. Cancer, great. No. But on how he responded, he flew to Jesus. And he looks back and says, my prostate cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me. I will never forget that conversation. God will stop at nothing to get our heart's attention. Easy to preach. Hard to see it when you're in it. But we can see it because we have a heavenly perspective. People without this won't see that. But we have it. We can see it. And we can praise him for it. So I want to close with this verse. It's a coffee cup verse. It's a verse that we put on t-shirts. It's a verse that we've colored up and we, all these other things, and we've made it look good and ooey and gooey and calligraphy and Pinterest. And This is a scary verse, guys. And here's what it says. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, what's the next word? Not might, not possibly, not percentage is, not I hope. He who began a good work in you will, he will carry it on to completion until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will, he will stop at 
nothing to get our heart's attention. He will. And we look at that initially and say, ooh, yay, all right. Oh, wait a minute. Uh Uh-oh. What does that mean exactly? What it means is he'll stop at nothing. He'll throw you in the gravel because it's worth it. To get, to get your, to get my eyes on him. And so that someday we can stand next to David and say that loneliness, your friends turning against you, was the best thing. So that we can stand next to Joseph and say being misportrayed, being lied about, and being mistreated by your family was the best thing. And so that we can stand next to Nebuchadnezzar and say to have it all and then to lose it all and have nothing was the best thing. And we could stand next to the paralytic and we could say a physical disease or a crippled or an accident, whatever it was that caused the paralysis, he will tell you someday when you meet him, it was the best thing. But it's all, it all hinges on our response. I can give you other stories of crisis where the people didn't respond to Jesus. It all depends on our response. Let's pray. Father, what a truth that you give us in the Bible, that you stop at nothing, and we ought to be thankful for that. I'm not sure I am yet, because it's painful. Philippians 1.6 is painful. Uh, But just going through that passage for the paralyzed man, uh, it hits us. Wait a minute. That's what brought him to you. And so, Father, whatever it takes today to get our hearts' attention, whatever it takes to get our hearts and minds off of us, me, 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 I, 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 to where we are finally doing what Nebuchadnezzar did, dropping on our knees, lifting up our hands, and saying, you are the one true living God, and you are worthy of all of our devotion, worthy of all of our worship. And if we come to that today, thank you for that gift. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.